The Bible. It's the Word of God, sharper than any two-edged sword. This sacred book is living and active and contains all that's needed for life and godliness. Stay with American Family Radio for the next hour as we study God's Word and take your Bible questions. Welcome to Exploring the Word. Chapter 8 of the Gospel of John begins with the Pharisees wanting to stone the woman who was accused of adultery. And that same chapter at the end, those same Pharisees take up stones to throw at Jesus. Now, that is action. It begins and ends with throwing stones. This is Bert Harper along with Dr. Alex McFarland, and it's our joy to be with you today on Exploring the Word. We're in the Gospel of John, and we appreciate Jim Stanley coming in yesterday, and we lacked a little bit getting through Chapter 8, but it was so good we didn't want to hurry through it, so we saved it for Alex McFarland to comment on this word, most assuredly, I say to you, before Abraham was, I am. That's verse 58, Alex. Wow, John eight fifty-eight, a very famous verse. And Bert, it's good to be with you. I'm sorry I wasn't able to make it on time yesterday. But as always, uh, we certainly are blessed to have some, some great uh, colleagues in the Bible teaching ministry. Jim Stanley is so faithful, and so are you. But, um, you know, this is just so Im- important, Bert, because Jesus is presenting himself as the Son of God, God the Son. And that word, I am, I mean, we've talked about it a lot, but it, it's from Exodus 3.14, and it references God's eternality. I am that I am. And for Jesus to say that that's his nature, he is eternal God, he's taken on a human body, he is the I am that they've thought about, reverenced, worshipped, that he, the God they've for centuries followed, now he's right there present before them. That's that's just amazing. And, uh, you know, there, like C.S. Lewis said, all right, Jesus claimed to be God incarnate. Either he was lying, and that makes him evil, or he was delusional, and perhaps he was mentally unstable, or he was telling the truth. And C.S. Lewis had a famous thing that he called the trilemma, uh, liar, lunatic, or Lord. Well, we know Jesus wasn't a liar. In fact, even skeptics have said he's the most moral man that ever lived, and he wasn't delusional. In fact, his teachings and his uh, you know, words are the most wise words ever recorded. Well, if he wasn't a liar and he wasn't a lunatic, then maybe he was exactly as he claimed to be, the Lord. Amen. And uh, his resurrection from the dead certainly proves that, but this is powerful stuff. Now, scholars call this the, the Johannine thunderbolt, John's <laughs> this, this bolt. Uh, verily, verily, I say unto you, before Abraham was, I am. But their reaction in verse 59 was disheartening, wasn't it, Bert? It really was. I heard one preacher say, Jesus didn't say, I was. He did not say, I will be. He says, I am. Now, Alex, it's always I am. And it's like you said, the eternality of God in the present. A thousand years is his one day. One day is his thousand years. He knows tomorrow. He knows what happened yesterday. And he's mindful of today. He is the great I am. And in the Gospel of John, we find John using that again and again. Have you noticed this about John? And we're not even quite halfway through. Uh, He has his words that he uses again and again. And doing thy ams he does. And then he uses the word abide quite a bit. Light, love, life. And so John is driving it home. And, And let me just say this about pastoring and Sunday school teachers, small group leaders, uh, don't don't worry about repeating yourself ever so often. Uh, repetition is a great way for people to remember. And so here he brings it up again, and he's already told them in verse 56, your father Abraham rejoiced to see my day, and he saw it and was glad. And they say, how can that be? You're just 50 years old. And that's when he drop this bombshell on them, and then their reaction, as we said earlier, you said and I said, Alex, they took up stones to throw at him. They 
knew exactly. They, he was claiming Godship. He was part, he was God. But Jesus himself went out of the temple, going through the midst of them, and so passed by. Uh, yeah. Now, I'm and, not sure this is miraculous or exactly how this happened, but there there seems to, I just want to say this, throw it back to you. He's in control even when they think they're in control. Well, that that's true. And by the way, I know we have um, young people listening. Uh, Bert, when I was in college, um, and it was about midway through my undergrad that I came to the Lord and got saved, but I remember I had, in a couple of classes, I uh, had a religion class, and uh, the professor I had, and this was at a secular university many, many years ago, but, so, well, you know, Jesus didn't really claim to be uh, God. You know, he was uh, a wise teacher, but Jesus' core message was the Sermon on the Mount and love your neighbor. And, I, and you know, years later, as a believer, I was thinking about this because I've had my share of times when people say, well, you know, uh, Jesus didn't really claim to be the one and only way to heaven, the one and only Savior. And here's the thing I, I thought about. I said, then then why did he get executed? Because, look, if if his core message was a simple, you know, love your neighbor, be a good person, they don't execute you for that. You know, be, be good now, stay out of trouble, be a good person. I mean, that that's a good message. Um Jesus got executed because he claimed to be God incarnate, the Messiah. And John eight fifty nine, right here, they picked up stones. And uh, just like now, when I mean, there there are people to this day that every now and then they'll vandalize a church or a synagogue. And um, when God presents Himself, some people open up and receive Him. Some people vehemently reject Him, but. You're right, Bert. Uh, Jesus was in control. Says that uh, going through the midst of them, he passed by. I was looking. You know, some translations indicate that he he hid himself or somehow protected himself. Because remember, we see this phrase: Jesus would say, "My time is not yet." I mean, he Jesus was keeping everything on track in spite of the increasing um, anger and lawlessness of the crowds. He did, and notice the transition. This, this is again. I, uh, I'm always looking at, at these men as they write. I think it's because I. That's not one of my great abilities is writing. I, I'd rather speak, and you're a great writer and a great speaker. But notice what happens in chapter eight, verse fifty nine, and then in chapter nine, verse one. See if you can pat, uh, you can catch same word. They took up stones, this is verse 59, to throw at him, but Jesus hid himself and went out of the temple, going through the midst of them, and so passed by. Now, chapter 9, verse 1. Now, as Jesus passed by, he saw a man who was <laughs> blind from birth. Now, let me see if, if I, here's what I said. As he was getting out of this danger, he saw someone who had a greater danger or difficulty, and he stops to minister. Now, Alex, uh, again, it, there could be some space in there, but the way John writes this, it seems to be kind of in a a smooth uh, happening, close close proximity in time and location. And so here it is: as Jesus passed by, he saw a man who was blind from birth. And the disciples asked him, saying, Rabbi, who sinned, this man or his parents, that he was born blind? Now, mm. have you ever asked questions that <laughs> didn't deserve an answer? Or well, and, and this is kind of their, they, they think they're being spiritual here, you know? Well, uh, you know, I got to say this about the word uh, past, because in, in my Bible, I've got a King James Bible that I actually bought in Tupelo, Mississippi. Oh, wow. Yeah. years ago. Uh, but in verse 59, it says, and and so passed by. And then in 9 verse 1, and as Jesus passed by, and it just so happens the words passed by are right on top of each other, you know? Uh, verse 1 of chapter 9 is just directly beneath verse 59 of chapter 8. So I looked up these words, and the one in verse 59 indicates departing away from something. 
but the one in verse 1 of chapter 9 means coming in. So it's like Jesus passed by in terms of exiting away from those that rejected him, but he's coming in to the life of this man blind from birth. Amen, Alex. That is so good. Little nuance of the words there. It is, but isn't that what he does in our lives? Uh, He's a deliverer uh, from and a deliverer to. You catch my words? Yes. And and that's what he, he brings us out of our sin, out of darkness, out of death, and he brings us into forgiveness and light and life. So as we're coming out, we're coming in. Same thing happens when we die and go to be of the Lord. As we're saying goodbye down here, we're saying hello up there. And yeah. so, Alex, uh, I love that. That's that transition, John. Uh, I, you know, as somebody said that that would preach, brother. <laughs> Amen. Amen. Well, you know, Jesus is passing by right now. And the door, do you open your door to Jesus, or, or are you closing your door? And the door of your heart, you know, uh, welcoming Christ into your life, your your belief, your trust. Open yourself up to Jesus and let Jesus come in. But um, this is something else. Uh, verse 2, because typical human nature, we all probably might have thought this way, His disciples asked him, saying, Master, who did sin, this man or his parents, that he was born blind? Bert, that that might be a logical way to look at something, uh, because people think about cause and effect. But there's another thing to consider, and that's uh, God's sovereign plan. Jesus said, Neither hath this man sinned nor his parents, but that the works of God should be made manifest in him. And he goes on, speaking of the works of God, I must work the works of him that sent me while it is day. The night cometh when no man can work. As long as I am in the world, I am the light of the world. Now, uh, the works of God being manifest. Bert, isn't that a beautiful thing that what, from an earthly perspective, is a tragedy, uh, maybe an insoluble dilemma, but when God comes into it, he can not only act resolve it, but his his glory be shown forth, and that's what's about to happen in the life of this blind man. And he does the work in his life. His life is completely changed, and as we go through this chapter, we're going to hear the rest of the story. Uh, the bad thing, this happened on the Sabbath. Can you believe they would do that on the Sabbath? Uh-oh, Kill a man? Uh-oh. Well, those Pharisees, man, they find it fault with it, so we're going to come back and read the rest of the story right after this break. Paul writes, when one part of the body suffers, we suffer together. This is Bible League International, and the persecuted church around the world is paying a heavy price simply for following the Lord Jesus Christ. Warlocks burned down the home and shanty church that Emilio pastors in Chiapas, Mexico, near the border of Guatemala. And these male witches, they surrounded the homes of church members so they couldn't leave for two weeks. All of this because Christians oppose their pagan worship, but they lovingly share the gospel with those who persecute them. Listen, hundreds have come to Christ, and when I ask these heroes of the faith, how can we pray for you? They never say pray for an end to our suffering because they know God's working through it. What they pray for is that new believers will be able to endure and persevere under tremendous hardship and you can do that when you can open your own Bible and be reminded of God's precious promises. $5 sends a Bible, $50 sends 10, $500 sends 100. Please, in this season of giving, pray about it and then call 800-YES-WORD 800-YES-WORD or give it sendbiblesnow.org sendbiblesnow.org org. Action heroes are often ruggedly independent and act as if they don't need anyone or anything. But Dr. Tony Evans says that attitude puts us in conflict with the very nature of God. He'll explain today as we spend two minutes with Tony. He says, I am who I am. I am defined by myself. I am self-defined. I do not have to go outside of myself for anything. You are only you because there is a mother and a father. In other words, if there was nothing outside of you, you wouldn't be you. Let God take away the oxygen, you still won't be you. 
because you and I are dependent outside of ourselves to exist, food and clothes and, and, and breathing and living and houses and everything about you depends on something that's not directly you in order for you to still be you because you are not self-contained, therefore you are not independent. That's why God hates independence. He hates independence because the moment you become independent, you're saying, I am self-contained and I'm self-sufficient, to which God says, no, you're a fool, okay? The moment you develop self-sufficiency, which basically is pride and independence, you have now become an enemy of God because God knows better. Actually, you know better, but you don't want to admit it. I know better too. If you're ready to declare your dependence on God by committing your life to Him, visit TonyEvans.org, click on the top menu, and follow the Jesus link. He'll explain what it means to be a real Christian and describe the amazing difference it'll make in your life today and for eternity. Then join us next time for Two Minutes with Tony. One thing I ask from the Lord, this only do I seek, that I may dwell in the house of the Lord all the days of my life, to gaze on the beauty of the Lord and to seek Him in His temple. Psalm 27, 4. American Family Radio. In John chapter 9, beginning at verse 6, we're going to see Jesus do a healing. And Bert, you know, people ask me, do you believe in praying for healing? Absolutely. Uh, the God who made us can heal us. Jesus is going to take some uh, material off the ground, some clay or some dirt on the ground. And uh, look, isn't it something? He called into existence the earth and planets and he made us, and he can heal us. Billy Graham said, God made us, he can fix us if we're broken. Uh, this is Exploring the Word, Alex McFarland, Bert Harper, and we're in John chapter 9 in the New Testament Gospel of John. Later on in the program, we will take calls if you want to call in or get ready to call in with a Bible question, and that number, might want to write it down. It's 888-589-8840. We would love to hear from you. But um, Bert, um, it, what's the significance of Jesus? I mean, he could have waved his hand or he could have just spoken a word, but interesting, he spat on the ground, he made clay with the spittle and anointed the eyes of the blind man with the clay, and he said, go wash in the pool of Siloam, which is by interpretation sent. He went his way, therefore, washed and came back seeing. Um God's ways are not man's ways, are they? They are not. Two or three things that I could not help but notice. The disciples are the ones the ones that notice this man. They bring his attention to Jesus. Then Jesus has the attention of the disciples, but then Jesus turns his attention to the man. And that's when he told him to go and the spittle and wash it off. Alex, let me give you a little bit of my thoughts on it. I don't know all the reasons why. Jesus healed several blind people, but he did not do it the same way each time. I think that is significant because if if he had done it the same way, we'd think, oh, that is the only way. No. Now, there's just one way for salvation, but for healing, for deliverance, there's there's different ways, and it's always God. Even in surgery, therapy for physical issues, it's God that really does the healing. They have some of these people have discovered ways by which God's made the body and created it in order to to accommodate that and make it better. But God is the healer, and so He never did this the same way, Alex. I think that's significant, man. Oh, absolutely. Absolutely. And, you know, um, it's just amazing. Uh, dirt on the ground is just dirt on the ground until God puts his hands upon it. <laughs> Amen. And, you know, we talk about holy ground. Well, this there's holy ground. And, I mean, to rub kind of a mud 
uh, in your eyes that you might think, well, goodness, that what in the world could that do? But the thing was, it was it was what Jesus said do. It had God's hand upon it, and it resulted in a miracle. And do you know what? Let, let me just say, there's a lot of things in the Christian life that are humanly counterintuitive. To automatically give away 10% of your take-home pay to tithe, that might that might sound counterintuitive, but I can tell you um, it's better to have the, the 90% with the blessing and favor of God than to hold back and have 100% and be in a state of disobedience. To forgive your enemy, uh, and maybe you think you were in the right and somebody else did you wrong, but to forgive them and to let them go and to love them, that that's humanly against the grain. But God's way is always the right way. And we could, you know, belabor this point, and I I won't. But let me say, we've got to trust God to be willing to do the thing that is what the Holy Spirit says do, even though it may run counter to conventional human wisdom. Alex, one thing, for him to get to that pool of Siloam, he had to have someone to lead him there. Do you remember what it said in chapter 5 when he healed the man there, uh, you know, that was paralytic for 38 years, you know? He mm-hmm. said, how can I get to the water when it is stirred unless someone take me? Here, yeah. Jesus, let someone else be a part of this great miracle. Now, again, this is just coming into it a little sideways, but isn't it awesome? When God lets you and me or anyone who is listening to be in on one of his works, leading someone to the Lord Jesus Christ, helping someone nail down what they're to do with their life, helping someone pray through an issue that they're going through. Now, again, God did not have to use anyone, you or me or anyone, but he lets us be a part of a work that he is doing. Now, only God could do the deliverance of the eyesight. But this man had a friend that would help him to get to the pool of Siloam. Alex, uh, I want to be that kind of man that helps others. You know, I want to be that kind of person that will aid my brother or my sister, someone that needs me. And so I, I, I would call out those who are listening especially during the time we're coming up on Thanksgiving and Christmas, look for the opportunity for you to be an instrument, an agent of God to help someone. That's a great challenge. Yes. Um, You know what? Uh, We do have this challenge to be used by God. Well, the man that experienced this healing got to be a witness, and everybody's saying, oh, my goodness, is, isn't this the beggar that was blind? And some said, no, it's not him. It looks like him. But, and they said, how were your eyes opened? And he answered, he said, a man that is called Jesus made clay and anointed my eyes and said unto me, go to the pool of Siloam and wash. I went, I washed, I received my sight. Here's three verbs, went, washed, received. Do you know what? God has some verbs for you, my dear friend. Uh, come, trust, believe, obey, and receive. Bert, I mean, everybody has salvation to receive, but I believe God has a wonderful plan for everybody's life. I believe in John 10.10, we're not quite there yet, but there's life and life more abundantly. And so, folks, understand that uh, meeting Jesus, he says, a man named Jesus, if you want to experience the verbs of God's blessing. Come, believe, be forgiven, receive abundant life, God's presence, God's guidance. You're going to have to come to that man called Jesus, like verse 11 of John 9. Have you done that? Have you come to this man called Jesus? You could today. Alex, those verbs, they're powerful. They are. They are. And you look back, I've heard you share your testimony. Those same wor- verbs was involved in you. They were involved in me as a 12-year-old boy. They Listen, ask God into your life. You're listening today, and you've never come to the place where you have received forgiveness of your sins and the promise, the reality of eternal life. Today would be the day. Ask Christ to come into your life. If you need help 
There's partners, Triple Eight need him. Triple Eight need him. Call them. Uh, they will pray with you and they will guide you. And here it is. Then they said to him, the man who was healed, where is he, the man called Jesus? And he said, I don't know. They brought him for uh, they brought him who formerly was blind to the Pharisees. Now here it is. This is just the common people doing this, Alex. But they wanted to get a hey, Pharisees. Now, why they brought him? Did they want them to look what Jesus has done? Or what do you think they've done? So, Alex, I'm going to give you multiple choice. Do you think the Pharisees will rejoice that this man was was blind and now could see? Do you think they was just kind of, well, anybody could do that? Or do you think it happened on the Sabbath? I dare him do that. Now, which one of those you think the Pharisees might do? Huh. They, they're going to... They're going to miss the blessing because it it violated their rigid legalistic rules. You know, I was just reading ahead, Bert, as you were talking about this. They bring him to the Pharisees, and let me read in verse, uh, well, 14 and 15, talk about it was done on the Sabbath day. The man received his sight. Now, the, the great blessing is a blind man received his sight. Okay, he was a beggar, but he's not going to have to beg anymore. And he um, has this great testimony of the power of God. I mean, this is a win-win on every level, right? But it says, therefore, said some of the Pharisees, this man is not God. Jesus is not God. Why? Because he keeps not the Sabbath day. Others said, how can such a man that is a sinner do such miracles? And there was a division among them. Okay, A, uh, this Jesus, what's the good? Well, he healed and delivered, and he's doing miracles and showing the power of God. But here's the uh, accusation against him. He didn't keep the Sabbath day, and he must be a sinner. Bert, do you see this? All right, presumptuous, unteachable, self-righteous. First of all, there's no indication that Jesus is a sinner. Why, Why does this person just assume he's a sinner? Now, let me say this. There's a fallacy, folks. And a fallacy is a false way of thinking. It's, a, it's making a, a logical mistake. And one of the most common fallacies is what's called reductionism, to reduce. And the word, think of the phrase nothing but. When I was in college and I got saved and I began to go to church and Jesus had changed my life, I had friends and they said, well, you know, preachers are nothing but you know, money-hungry, greedy people. And I remember I had a friend, he said, oh, yeah, those preachers, they fleece the flock. Well, maybe some do, but not all do. And then I had a friend, and, I mean, he cut me off. It wouldn't be my friend anymore. He said, you're just, see, I, you know, I was, had trouble with my mom and dad because it was a, a rough time in my family's life. And they were, the egg business was in debt. And anyway, my parents were always arguing and fighting. There was a time I didn't think my mom and dad were going to stay together. Well, anyway, this one friend of mine, he said, you're just going to church to try to, um, you know, get right with your mom and dad. Your mom and dad are making you go to church, right? And I was like, no, uh, Jesus is coming to my life. My point is, in verse 16, when they're saying, um, this man is nothing but a sinner, well, that's a reductionistic fallacy. He's not a human being. He's God incarnate. This man is nothing but a Sabbath breaker. Well, if you're Lord of the Sabbath, as he said, and I believe it was Luke ten twenty eight, uh, he didn't break the Sabbath because the Sabbath was subordinate to him. Now, I don't mean to belabor the point, but the fact is because of their unteachability and being closed-minded, they're missing not only the glorious miracle of a man being healed, but they're missing the one who did the miracle. And and what why is this here? It does show who he is. That's one of the purposes of John writing that Jesus is the God-man. He is God in flesh. But another reason is writing, and he has the seven different miracles that John records, is that you don't want to miss that. You want to be that man that received his sight, not those that would say, well, no. You know, he, I, as you were reading, I couldn't help but think of this, Alex. I couldn't help but think about Pharaoh when Moses came to him to get rid of the frogs. 
in place mm-hmm. of Pharaoh saying, yeah, get rid of those frogs right now. We've had enough. He said, wait and do it tomorrow. You know, he says tomorrow. You know, not, not now. Now, I don't know all of his thinking, just crooked thinking. Okay, these Pharisees would say it was better for Jesus to pass on by this blind man and leave him blind than to heal on the Sabbath. Their priorities are so something? far out of line, uh, yes. you know, and and so this is what you don't want to do in in our lives. We don't want to miss God uh, when He is responsible. That door is open. When now today's the day of salvation. You're not waiting for a convenient season. You need to come to Christ now. And and they asked the man. Said what What do you say about? him because he opened your eyes. He said, he is a prophet. But the Jews did not believe concerning him that he had been blind and received his sight until they called his parents. I mean, they said, this can't happen because this is not heard of. This this can't be. This You're talking about the impossibility, you know? This is there reducing it. This can't well, be. Well, in verse 23, you get the implication that the parents were afraid. Yeah. They said, well, he is of age. Ask him. Because, I mean, look, uh, to get put out of the synagogue to get kicked out. I mean, this was a very severe, you know, repercussions for being a part of the community. And it, it, it always made me sad when the parents, it, it wasn't, you you got it right. Praise God, our son is healed. No, they, they nervously said, well, uh, uh, he is of age, ask him. And, uh, you know, it's funny, the man says, you know, that um, he, this man named Jesus did it. And so, I got to tell you, we we need to be open to acknowledging where the blessings of life come from, and they come from God. Let me just say, part of our takeaway for this is, don't ever be ashamed to speak up and stand up for Jesus and for what he's done in your life. Amen. We just got to get to this passage, verse 24 and 25. So they again called the man who was blind, said to him, give God the glory. We know that this man is a sinner. In other words, you can't give God glory and and not see that this man is a sinner. Here is what he said, verse 25. Underline it, highlight it, whatever you can. He answered and said, whether he is a sinner or not, I do not know. One thing I know, that though I was blind, now I see. Mm. Alex, amazing grace, how sweet the sound that saved a wretch like me. I once was blind, but now I see. Listen, Alex, when God comes into your life, not only do you have this physical, but this man is going to get spiritual vision as well, isn't he? He really is. Folks, stay tuned. When we come back after this brief break, we're going to open up telephone lines, and we would like to hear from you. The number is 888-589-8840, AFR programming is now available on Alexa. You're joking, right? Nope, not joking. Seriously? Yep, this is not a drill. Wait a minute, no way. There's a way, the Alexa way. So if you just happen to miss your favorite shows, no worries. You can now listen to each podcast with Alexa. It's simple and it's free. Just visit AFR.net forward slash apps and click Alexa. We're not joking. I love this country. Well, can I tell you something? I love the Lord more than I love this country, and I love the body of Christ more than I love this country. So it is because I love you, frankly, I have to tell the truth. There are many that are more concerned with the consequences in our nation than we are about the call. The Hamilton Quarter, weekday afternoons at 5 Central on American Family Radio. My name is Vladimir. I received my Operation Christmas Child shoebox during a harsh winter in Ukraine where I grew up. My favorite item was minty dental floss. I remember thinking, wow, I guess they have interesting candy in America. I want children to experience the same unconditional love I did at the age of nine. To learn more or to pack a shoebox gift online, please visit SamaritansPurse.org OCC. That's SamaritansPurse.org OCC. This year, Operation Christmas Child is celebrating its 200 millionth shoebox. Send joy to a child in need with Operation Christmas Child. 
Pack a shoebox with fun toys, school supplies, and hygiene items. Then bring it to a drop-off location during National Collection Week, November 14th through the 21st. Or build a shoebox online. The good news of Jesus Christ is shared alongside your gift, and each child is invited to join a discipleship program. Visit SamaritansPurse.org OCC to learn more. So Aaron took it as Moses said and ran into the midst of the assembly. And behold, the plague had already begun among the people. And he put on the incense and made atonement for the people. And he stood between the dead and the living. And the plague was stopped. My name is Abraham Hamilton III, and this is the Hamilton Minute. Often when the concept of intercession is raised, we normally think about prayer. And we should. Prayer is one form of intercession. Here we see another, living intercession. At the climax of a plague, Aaron runs into the fray, armed with incense, and where he stands, the plague stops. Aaron literally stands between the living and the dead. May God move us to be living intercessors for our day, and where we take our stand in Christ, the plague stops. Listen each weekday from 5 to 6 p.m. Central for The Hamilton Corner with Abraham Hamilton III, public policy analyst for the American Family Association. Welcome back to Exploring the Word, Alex and Bert. So glad you're listening. We really, really appreciate it. And the number is 888-589-8840. We'd be honored to take your phone calls and Bible questions. And Bert, where do we go on the call board first? Well, let me say this. We've got some lines open. So if you've got a good question or a Bible question, we'd love to hear it. And you say, what's a good question? The one you ask, and we'll do our best. Amen. Well said, brother. Okay, let's go to Texas. Dean, welcome. Dean, are you there? Oh, yes. Uh, It it cut out. I'm sorry. Yes, I'm here. Yeah. Thank you for calling today. Yes, Allison Burt. First, uh, I really enjoy uh, listening to you guys. Your program comes on. Uh, conveniently on my way home from work every day. So, Amen. But as I was listening to uh, the program today, um, I, 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 I've heard this doctrine before, and it's never been a, a hang-up for me, but the disciples question to Christ, who sinned, this man or his parents? Well, if it would have been the man, um, he, he, he can't very well sin unless he pre-existed his spirit or something before the womb. But does the Bible speak to that at all? Pre-existence before the womb? Okay, Dean. Great question. I'm glad you did call and get through. Uh, Alex, there is no evidence in the Bible that we are little spirits up in heaven waiting for a, a consummation and us becoming in the womb. There's no evidence of it anywhere in the Bible that I found. How about you? No, no. Um, Two things the Bible doesn't teach. One is the pre-existence of a soul or a person before conception, nor the reincarnation of a person after death. I mean, one thing about uh, the biblical worldview of of human life is it's linear. You're conceived, you develop, you're born, you live, you die. And Hebrews 9.27, after death, the judgment. So, no, um, this is not karma. Uh, this is not reincarnation. This is not some preexistence. No, like, like Jesus says, that the works of God would be manifest, verse 3. And, Bert, um, I think there are a lot of things in life that we just don't know the why. And sometimes it, we get on a little bit shaky ground to speculate too far, and we... Uh, infer something that may not actually be be the reason why something is happening. That's exactly right. Now, Mormon, in their doctrine, they have that pre-existence. There's no evidence of it in the Bible. While I'm on the Mormon church, I just want to cry out, uh, they adopted the policy of same-sex marriage as being okay. Uh, Alex, did you read about that? I read about that this morning. And Um, that breaks my heart. Another domino has fallen. Yeah, yeah, it's bad. But anyway, pray, pray, pray for our country. 
Let's go to Texas again and talk to Jessica. Jessica, welcome. Hi. <laughs> Thank you for calling today, Jessica. Yeah, I was cheered. I shows a lot. <laughs> um, I have a, I, I don't know. Um, sorry, I'm a little emotional. My son has a, a rare condition, a rare syndrome that causes him issues. You know, so I wonder as a parent, you know, his future and what it holds for him. Right now we're battling um, seizures. Um, he has an atrophy of the brain, so his brain is slowly dying. Um, but it's like, I don't question God. I know my son is special, but I'm just hurt, and I want to know why he let this happen. Okay, Jessica, we hear your hurt, and we, Alex and I would say to you, we understand the hurt. I appreciate what you're saying about God. We don't know why this man was born blind except what Jesus said, that God's work could be revealed. Now, in this case, it was revealed by healing. Awesome. In many cases that I've had to deal with as pastor, over 40 years of pastoring, I'm talking about I've just about every condition that you can imagine going to the hospital and uh, there's a couple there celebrating the birth and the life of a child and walk down the high, uh, the hall and there a child that was stillborn in that same hospital that same day trying to reconcile the difference. I have not except God's glory can be revealed in your love for the Lord and your care for the son if your son is even not healed, that God's work can be revealed in you. And it is special. It's difficult. Uh, I, I, our friend J.J. Jasper, who we loved, uh, he lost a son, and then another son was born, and and Brody has he's Down syndrome, and J.J. has shared the joy that Brody has brought to their life, the care that yes they have to give extra care, uh, they have their place and they're special, Jessica. Alex, go ahead. Well, well, first of all, I feel very privileged that you would call us. And like Bert, uh, you know, I, I can hear the pain and the emotion in your voice. And, and I just want to say, God be with you and God bless you. And uh, thank you for letting us talk with you a little bit. i, I got to share this. Um, oftentimes, the Lord allows things into our life that if we allow it, can show us things about his faithfulness, and we learn things about God that otherwise we wouldn't have known. And we were hurting, and we lean in deeply into Jesus, and we we just throw ourselves at his feet, and we're saying, oh, God, I need you. And give me a moment. I want to share this. Uh, last week when I was in Texas, I was going to go over to MD Anderson. I've got a, one of my best friends I ever had in this world uh, is at MD Anderson, and he wasn't strong enough to have a visit last week, and so, Bert, I didn't go. But we were on the phone, and um, he said these words. He says, you know, Alex, this is not the script I would have signed up for, but God is faithful, and God's helping me. And, ma'am, I'm sure this is not the story you would have written for yourself. This is not the script you would have signed up for. But like my dear friend at MD Anderson, is probably listening right now, 2 Corinthians 1, uh, 3 and 4 says, Praise be to the God and Father of our Lord Jesus, the Father of compassion and the God of all comfort. And, and your comfort is God. He is the God of all comfort, who comforts us in all of our troubles so that we may be able to comfort those who are in any trouble with the same comfort wherewith we ourselves were comforted from God. Now, what does that mean? Um, if you'll allow it, and, and I mean, I believe in praying for healing. I believe in medicine, doctors, by every available tool at your disposal. You advocate for your child, uh, sure, but you lean into Jesus. And like Job, you say, though he slay me, yet will I trust him. And see, what's going on is God is preparing you for ministry, and someday you'll be able to come alongside somebody 
and you can legitimately say from firsthand experience, you say, I understand. And let me tell you, I was there and God is faithful. And you say, well, this is not an assignment I want. Yeah, I know. But our life is not our own. Uh, But there will be a day, I promise you. I can tell you from the Word of God, I can tell you from history, from people we've met, and even from my own experience, when you go through the most painful of dark, deep valleys, if you will trust God, He'll bring you out on the other side, and there'll be a day, and you'll look back, and you actually can say, I thank God because it did things in my life that maybe otherwise couldn't have been done. So, Bert, uh, when we meet dear people like this, we we feel privileged to talk with these people and to pray for such people, don't we? We do. And Jessica, I hope you're listening. Turn her back up. Could Would you mind giving us your son's first name? Would you mind? His name is Justin. Justin, we're going to pray. Yes. Let me ask every listener, if you can, write Jessica and Justin's name down right now. Yes. And let's bombard heaven right now, but also write it down and have it with you. And when you pray tonight and tomorrow, let's take them to the Lord. We're going to do that right now, Jessica. Father, I thank you for Jessica and her calling. And uh, Alex and I, we are so mindful of people who listen to exploring the word who are hurting beyond measure, that their pain is, is hard and difficult. Yeah. It's, it's at a scale higher than, than we could even imagine. And we're praying for Jessica right now that you would comfort her with that comfort that Jesus talked about that only comes to the Holy Spirit. He is that paraclete. He is that comforter. And I pray for Justin. God, I do pray that they would find medication, therapy, some way for healing, or you touch him. But if not, just like Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego said, Father, we are going to glorify you, and we're going to serve you. I pray that would be Jessica's prayer in Jesus' name. Thank you. Amen. Jessica, bless you. Thank you. Thank you for for calling. Thank you. Amen. Alex, uh, sometimes I'm overwhelmed, brother, at our, what God's given us, responsibility. So thank you, Jessica. Let's go to Arkansas. Uh, Charles, are you there? Yes, sir. Go right ahead, brother. Okay. My question was in John twenty seventeen, whenever Jesus told Mary to do not cling to me, for I have not a, yet ascended to the Father. When he's saying cling, is he meaning like a physical hug or maybe like follow me right now because she, he wants her to go and tell the others? And and the second part of the question is, if it does mean like hug or touch him, why did he let Thomas touch him later on in this chapter, you know, in his his wounds? Charles, question. Yeah, good question. Alex, go ahead, and so we can get you answer that, because you and I would yeah. say the same thing on that one. Yeah, um, it, it's like he was saying, you can't keep clinging to me because I, I'm going to ascend uh, the word there really, it, uh, by the way, if you like words, it's the word haptic for touching something. Like, you know, a, 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 a touchpad on a computer has haptic characteristics, and the, the Greek word is haptic, touching something. You can't hang, Jesus is saying, hey, you can't hang on to me because I'm going to ascend to the Father. So I believe it was like a physical hug. But Jesus, the, the King James renders it in a way that's a little bit confusing. It says, touch me not, for I have not yet ascended to my Father. It wasn't that they couldn't touch Jesus, but they couldn't cling on to him permanently in a physical sense because he was going to ascend back to heaven, which we read about in Acts 1-4. And by the way, Thomas didn't have to touch him. He at Jesus said, you can, but when he saw it, he knelt down and and he praise sure God. Amen. Thank Great you, question. Charles. Amen. Let's go to Iowa and talk to Don. Welcome, Don. Hello. Yes, you're on, brother. Thank you. I got to ask, is it cold in Iowa? Uh, yeah. Uh, you know, we had just a little bit of snow. Yeah, it's gone down in the 20s and 30s, but okay. not that bad. I mean, 
Iowa's Iowa, and that's what we expect. <laughs> okay. <laughs> Thank you for awesome. calling, brother. Go ahead with your question. Uh, well, you know what? Uh, last week I was leading our Sunday school class, and the question came up about uh, God not remembering or forgetting our sins. And uh, and I know that in Hebrews 10, you know, 14, uh, 18, it talks about it ends with their sins and lawless acts I will remember no more. And it's just kind of one of those peculiar questions, uh, because a sovereign God who knows all, who uh, uh, future uh, is in the past, present, and future all at once, how, what would you say to that? Don, thank you. Great question. Let me do this quickly. Uh, it means he does not remember them against us. He does not hold them against us. We've been forgiven uh, our sins are washed away. Uh, he could never, matter of fact, if you look at the, at, especially the Old Testament, God would remind the children of Israel what they had done and the uh, shortcomings and the sins they had committed to help them not to do it again. But he did not remember them against them. Alex, you got anything to add to that? Oh, that's that's the best thing we could say. And, and the wording is like inscribe. Imagine like there's a charge written on the blackboard. Uh, obviously, God being omniscient knows all things, but he's wiped the blackboard clean, and it really means, like you said, he doesn't call them to mind against us anymore. Amen. We're going to try to get Clayton from Louisiana. Clayton, you'll have to do it quickly, but go ahead with your question. Well, uh, I hadn't had the radio on very long, and I probably didn't hear everything I needed to hear. But in Jeremiah, I think Jeremiah, I don't have my Bible out here with me. Jeremiah, uh, God tells Jeremiah, I think, that uh, he knew him before he was in his mother's womb. And I've always wondered, you know, if he does have <laughs> something on the shelf somewhere waiting to be put with our body. I know that's a little ridiculous, but he knew me before. If he knew Jeremiah, he knew me. He knew Amen, you. Amen, Clayton. Hey, I, thank you. for. I, I know. Hopefully you're not still listening. Alex, take that away because we've got one minute left. Yeah, it's like I think it's Jeremiah 1.5 if I remember. It's like I envisioned it, you know. Um, it's like if you're going to build a house or something and you can see it. There it is. You see it, even though it's not built yet. God sees us, and he has things for us. And the way that God's plan for us, what God envisioned becomes reality is you get born again and you follow him. And God's great plan for you will come to realization. And the answer to that is tied into our lesson of today. He is the I am. Yesterday, tomorrow, it's his present with God. I mean, time, uh, he made time so we could keep up with it. Uh, he's in eternity, isn't he, Alex? <laughs> yeah, Bert, wasn't there an old gospel song that said, I know who holds tomorrow? We do. Amen. <laughs> and he, I know who holds my hand. Listen, it's been a joy to be with you today, and I hope you've enjoyed it. And tune in tomorrow as we study God's Word here on Exploring the Word. The views and opinions expressed in this broadcast may not necessarily reflect those of the American Family Association or American Family Radio.